you have a Bible, I would love for you to grab it, and we're going to be in the book of Colossians again, Colossians chapter 1. Uh, one of my um, uh, favorite passages, because it gives us a Christological view of who he is, and, um, and I want us to get into that a little bit, but I want to focus on another one of Paul's prayers um, maybe we should have done a, s- a series on the prayer of Paul because he's got some good prayers in the New Testament. And I want to focus on um, his prayer in, to the church of Colossae. Uh, if you remember last week, uh, the church that he's talking to and writing to here, these are people he has never met, uh, but he has fallen like totally in love with these people and and he, you can get glimpses of like how he views these people, and 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 it's really a beautiful picture of what the church should look like and what the church is when it's flourishing. And we're going to see a little bit of that in this text this morning. Um, and I want us to focus again on on a prayer that he prays, and it's a prayer of increase. And I'll get more into that in just a second. So Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to pick it up in verse 3. We're going to go through verse 15. Uh, Are you there this morning? If you are not there, it's on the screen and there are Bibles out in the lobby, blue Bibles out there. Uh, Feel free to grab one. That is our gift to you. Or you can always download it on your mobile phone. Colossians chapter 1 verse 3. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ and of the love that you have for the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to you your love and the spirit. Now pay attention to verse nine because he's going to get into a prayer for him, for them as a church. And so from that day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking this right here, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as so to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And one more verse, he is the image of the invisible God, the first born of all creation. Let's pray over the reading of God's word this morning. Father, thank you so much for bringing us into the 
deep revelation of who you are right here, God, that we don't have to go searching and and, and flipping through self-help books to see what the meaning and purpose of life is or find some word for us. We've just heard your infallible, truth-filled word, God. And I pray that it would sharpen us and grow us more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would be mighty to save in this room. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Paul gives us a beautiful glimpse of what a, a real good, healthy church looks like before he begins his prayer for them. He talks about how they have this deep faith in who Jesus Christ is, a love for each other. And they're not just talking about the people of Rome, but they're, he's, they're being very specific in their love of each other as in the church. And he's talking about and really kind of giving this, um, I don't know, just like commending them for where they have placed their hope at um, as an early church. And I wonder if it would be said the same thing of us if we had somebody like a a missionary, Pastor Paul, writing to us as a church here in southern Utah, would these three things be character marks of who we are as a church? Would, be, would our faith be filled in who Christ Jesus is? Would we have a deep affectionate love for our brothers and sisters in Christ? And where is our hope at? Where is our hope placed in the right things? Let me, let me just kind of dissect a few of these. He says, I, I thank God. And, and he's really, this is, this is the, the evidence of why he loves them so much. Because it gives a clear picture of who this church is. He says, your faith is in the true Jesus Christ. Not some Jesus that's been conjured up or not some lowercase g God. Because remember, if they're a part of the Roman Empire, the people of Rome, their God was the emperor of the time. And so Paul's com- commending this church of their deep love and affection and their, and their faith in the true Jesus, the true God of the Bible, and, that they're, and it's the faith in him that he admires in this church. This reminds me of one of the great solaces of the church, that, that the faith alone in Christ alone This is where we find our salvation. And Ephesians would tell us that this faith that we have in Christ isn't even the faith that you can conjure up on your own ability. It's the gift that God gave you to have in his son, Jesus Christ. This isn't a faith in a political system. This is not a faith in a relationship. This is not a faith, even if I can just step on our toes just a little bit this morning. This is not even a faith in yourself. Because isn't that what the culture around us wants you to believe in more than anything else? Believe in yourself. Have faith in you. Listen to what your heart is telling you. These are all things that the world is telling you and and really waterboarding you with just to believe, have faith in you, Nobu, because you will be the only person in your life that is going to disappoint you. In fact, other people would disappoint you, sure, but there will be no other person that will disappoint you more than yourself. Where's your faith at this morning? 
Many of us have our faith in ourselves. Many of us have our faith in political governments and systems to pull us out of situations. Many of you have your faith in a relationship. In what? What relationship number is this? Number eight, nine, ten? How is that going to really sustain you in your life? Where's your faith at? Paul looks at this church in Colossae in the prison cell, and he is commending them of their faith in the true Jesus. And then he talks about their love for others in verse four, when he talks about their love for others, and particularly he's talking about the church specifically, their love for each other, this family of God. In the New Testament, there is an inseparable link between trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ and loving the saints and loving the church. And First John would say it this way, if a man loves God but hates his brothers, and he's talking about his, his fellow church folk, he lies and the truth is not in him. There is this inseparable link between the trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ and loving the church. It is why this new idea that we have that just surfaced over the past 10 or 20 years that we began to hear more of is that I love Jesus Christ so much, but his church ain't nobody got time for. Or, or, or maybe it's, it's better put in the way we really say it. I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Well, well John, first John would say that if you love God, but you hate your brothers, then you lie and the truth ain't in you, honey. You, you can't say, I love Jesus, but church is optional. The people of God is just an option for me. The gathering of the saints is something that's on the back burner of my agenda. You can't do that. And Paul looks at the church and he's commending them for not only their faith in Christ, again, this is an inseparable link, but for their love for each other as in their love for the church. And not only that, but he takes focus on what their hope is in. So he talks about how, how they have their hope placed in the right thing, which is what? Eternity. Their hope isn't placed in Roman Empire. Their hope is not placed in things that will sustain them for just a few moments. Their hope is in heaven. He says in verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So, so they love each other and they, they understand that this hope they have is something that's eternal. This hope they have is something that isn't, may, they see shadows of in the here and now. They, they get glimpses of the kingdom of God. They, they know the kingdom and rule and reign of Jesus is here now, but their hope is also broader in a sense that this ain't it for me. Uh, my hope is eternal. If your hope is in something in the here and now, then this is your heaven and eternity is likely your hell. But our hope is in the Lord. Our hope is in the things that sustain us, the eternal things, 
that's where their hope is in. Their hope isn't in whether or not they're looked at as some good person, because that's probably the thing that many of us in our, in our world today place our hope in, how good I am as a person. It's what every religion except for Christianity places its hope in. That I'm a good person. If you talk to a Buddhist, a Baha'i person, or, or whatever you fill in the blank with, they'll all tell you that it's just about being a good person, doing good things. I'm not advocating for you to be the turd of your neighborhood. I'm just telling you, if that's where you're pushing all your chips in into, sell, into selling yourself as, look how good I am. I treat my wife better than my neighbor does. I treat my kids better than you know who. If that's what you're placing all of your chips into, then, then you've misread and mistranslated the Bible. Because one of the scarier parts of the Bible is that God judges, okay? And he doesn't just judge you based off of your wickedness. He judges you based off of your righteousness. Because what the Bible would describe your righteousness is, is nothing but filthy rags. Don't make me exegete that, honey. Because that's nasty. So you on your best day, loving your spouse well, loving your children well, not yelling at them, like doing good in school, doing good on your job. God just said, it's disgusting to me. So where's our hope at? If it's, if it's, if it's in those things, then, then judge God looks at us and says, it's filthy what you've just brought to me. That's why the power of the cross of Christ is indeed so powerful because he paid the bill that I could not pay. And now because of Christ, he looks at not Matthew and all the merits that I can bring on the table and how good I am as a person or how good and effective I am as a preacher. He doesn't even see any of those things that I think I'm pretty decent at, right? I mean, we, we think, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Like, like, we think like we're pretty good at some things. Like you may be good at communicating. You may be good at being um, whatever it is in your trade. You may be good at being a spouse and that's fine. Do that. But God ain't even going to look at any of those things. When you stand before him, he's going to see the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed upon you. Paul is writing from a prison cell and he's talking through these admirable things that he sees in the church. And, he, and if I would just suggest, this is, this is what a healthy church looks like. One who has faith in Christ alone. One who has an affectionate love for the church. And, and one who has their hope in eternity. And now he's going to transition and to this prayer. And this prayer is a prayer that I would suggest it's a prayer for them as increase, right? It, it's, it's nothing that they're lacking in. It, it seems like that Paul is like, listen, you guys are doing great. I, I'm going to pray that you increase in that. So when I say that, you, know, you got you to gotta, you gotta be careful because when you say, let's pray a prayer of increase, some of our minds go in different ways. Oh, let's pray a prayer of increase, you say. 
God, increase my bank account in the name of Jesus. See, I said in the name of Jesus. So therefore, it has to happen. No. Ain't nothing wrong with you having money. But God ain't going to give you your money just so that you can see how successful and blessed, hashtag blessed life you have. God will give you the wealth you have so that you could be generous. So I'm not saying this is a prayer of increase for your bank account. Nor am I saying, is this a prayer that God would, you know, grow our influence? Again, nothing wrong with that, as long as you're using your influence for the right things. And not for you to say, oh, look, I'm, I'm now a social media influencer. Yeah, I have 15,000. Like, really, like God's up in the heavens going, oh, my, oh, my me. He has 15,000 followers on Instagram. Holy Spirit, why didn't you follow him? Yeah, that, God doesn't care, right? So, so hear me. If God gives you the influence, if he increases you in these different areas, hey, praise God for those. But honey, it's not for you to, to say, oh, look how great and glorious I am. It would be for you to say, look how great and glorious King Jesus Christ is. So he's going to pray for some, some things in the church for them to increase in. And so one of the things that I, that I see in verse 9, pray that God would fill you and form you with, with his vision of what his will is. Pray that you would increase in a knowledge of what the will of God is. Now, I don't think Paul is suggesting that this is, I don't know, you praying like, okay, God, I got this road and, you know, road A, road B, which one do I go in? Because I don't want to go the wrong road because if I do, I may die. I don't want to do all that. I, I don't think that's the type of will he's talking about. I, I would think this is a broader scope of the will of God. And what is that? the redemption of mankind, that we would grow, increase in our knowledge of that will for God. So, so what, here's what that means, that God would increase my knowledge that the gospel still needs to go out, that God would uh, constantly remind me and, and increase in my ability also to press out the will of God. And, and what is the will of God? That his salvation, his redemption, that either you were or you aren't a part of the rebellious kingdom, but God stepped into that rebellion and redeemed you and saved you. That's the will of God for you. You know, you may be asking those types of questions. Well, what's the will of the Lord for me? I, I got it for you. Ready? To save your butt. That's his will. Now, that ain't how the Bible would talk about it, but that's how Matthew translates it. To save you. And not just to save you from hell, because I think a lot of us, when we, when we talk about the plan of redemption and God's plan of salvation, we're all just wanting to, ready to condemn you. Like, okay, if you don't do this, then you will go to hell. Well, yes, but that's not the only reason why God saves us. It's not like so you can have this ticket to get out of hell. It's so that God can save you into something. God can save you into his kingdom so that you can participate and walk and flourish in that kingdom of God. So it's not just so much of what he has saved you from, 
as much as it is what God has saved you into, that we would increase in our knowledge of what God's will is for us. And it's this redemptive plan. One of the threats to the particularly the early church, um, and, and we see this in, in to the Colossians here, is this, this Greek thought of Gnosticism, which is this, where we get the word knowledge, okay? And so all of these people would want more knowledge of all things. They wanted more knowledge of the secret things. And, and the more knowledge they gained, they could begin to mix all of this knowledge and to make one conglomerate worldview. And so they began to, um, we need more knowledge that centers around ourselves and, and knowledge about really weird things. And Rome was filling up their peoples and really forming their people with this is your will. This is your reality. This is what our will is for you, that you could fill yourself with so much knowledge and mix all of this into one worldview. The interesting thing is that the will of Rome, um, let me ask it like this, where is the Roman Empire now? Yeah, it's not there anymore. So, so the will of their people, did it stand? No, but it's not much different than our culture today. Fill yourself up with so much knowledge. Whatever that will is for you, follow that. But God wants us to be filled with the knowledge of his will for us and for the church. The other part of the prayer that he prays for them is that their life would be pleasing to the Lord or to Jesus, that they would increase in how they are pleasing Jesus in verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, that our life would prove that we love Jesus. If it were a crime to love Jesus, we would be guilty on all counts. Now, side note, Notice he doesn't say that your life would be appeasing to God because those two are different ideas to appease and to please. Those are two different things because you cannot appease God. And I mean, seriously, if you think about the word appease, it just means to pacify God. So I'll just, and here's how this works out in our life. You know, I'll serve in the church. I'll check off my deed. I've appeased God and now he owes me something. And now, and now I am under his favor because we think that's what appeasing God does, but that's not what pleasing means. To appease God means you are working towards something and in exchange, God is supposed to bless you. You know, I'm going to tithe and God, you better bless me for this as if God needs anything from anyone. 
right? That, and that's how we think this word pleasing me. Like, well, God needs me to do this. God needs me to do this. And I'm going to show him. Like, God doesn't need anything. That's one of the, the deep theological, like, just blows my mind about who God is. God is in no need of anything. So he's not in need of you appeasing him and, and, and working your way up to him. He's not in need of that. You are in need of pleasing God. It's, it's your need that needs to please him. And that's our aim. And, it, and it's about pleasing God. And he's going to show us how that works out. But again, it's not about pleasing yourself. It's not about pleasing others, right? It's not about trying to win over the applause of men. And, and here's how I know this is like, here's how I know that doesn't work. Because if you're living your life trying to please people around you, like working for their applause and, and all of those types of things. Listen to me very carefully. I have been in very dark situations. I've been in some deep trauma. And you know what was there to sustain me and keep me through? It wasn't the applause of men. They'd done going out the back door. Where were they then in the dark night? They weren't there, cheering me on, clapping me. You can do this, Matthew. It was the Holy Spirit of God that sustained me. So why on earth would we want to live a life that is trying to please people, trying to please ourselves, knowing that in the end, the only one who's going to be there with you is God. Paul says, man, I, I am praying that, that as you are already pleasing God, that that would just begin to increase. And here's how it looks, and here's what that looks like, because he continues to pray and, and gives us what it means to please God. Pray that you would increase in your fruitfulness in good works. Now, if the gospel, the story of the gospel um, shapes you, then you will be fruitful for the kingdom of God. We're not saved because of good works. Uh, we're saved unto good works. This is why Paul would say to one of the pastors in the Isle of Crete, Pastor Titus in Titus 2.14, our God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. These are a people who are zealous to do good things. They understand that they, these good things are not the things that made them right before God. It's just a result of the good thing Jesus did in them the good works, that we would be zealous to do good works, that we'd be constantly aware of the needs around us. If you remember back in Colossians chapter four last week, that we would be watchful as we pray so that we can see where's a need at that needs to be met. In particular, like in this body, where's a need at that we can 
tag along to and join in and, and say that we want to grow and increase in our ability to be fruitful and not to be fruitless. So it's a prayer. God, awaken us to needs. Awaken us to acts of kindness and acts of hospitality. <laughs> Y'all, some of YouTube, uh, YouTube, Utah, some of these Utah folks, you know, they need Jesus. And uh, the other day I was at uh, the grind. You know, I was like, I had like a couple hours and I was going to go sit there and try to do some work. And so I sit at this table in this really cushy chair. You've been in the grind. You probably know what I'm talking about. This lady comes up. She sits down, you know, at the table. And I was like, oh, okay, this is cool. I don't mind. You know, I got my earbuds in. Somebody else comes up to me, sits down at the table. I'm like, okay, here we go. The more the merrier. Now, you kind of hear somebody talking. You're like, you get, like when you have your earbuds in, you have a feel. I don't know, maybe I'm weird. I get a feeling if I'm being watched. I'm so weird. Or like you, you just sense like somebody's talking to you, but you're just like trying to work. Be, you know, you're like trying to ignore. And I wasn't trying to be mean. I was just, I was really into something. And finally, I kind of like glazed and they were sitting there staring at me. And um, so I took my earbud out and they were like, uh, you need to leave because we're going to fill up all of these seats. I was, I was like, put my earbud back in. I was like, okay, okay. And y'all be proud of me. I didn't like flick them off. I mean, you know, I was like, I, I would never do that, right? Uh, no, I wouldn't. Maybe. Yeah, I did say, I, I was just like, okay. Okay, I don't mind, but okay, you know. It was weird. It was one of those awkward moments. And then I read this. Some of these folks need to understand what some, some hospitality is. <laughs> you, know, you know, I don't want to sound like the guy that Jesus talks about, like, you know, look how good I am. And, you know, look how much I tithe as he's beating his chest. But, man, I was like, look how hospitable I am because I'm just going to get up and walk away, you know. Man, I don't want the church to be in that category to where we are inhospitable, where we are unkind. May God increase us in good works, and good works is just this, that we're not the jerk in the community. We're looking for ways to meet needs around us. You know, sometimes I think, you know, when, when Paul is talking about, you know, being fruitful in, in your ministry, some, and I know if you've served in ministry, you've probably had this same thought. Like, like I'll, I'll get in my car and, like, I mean, and I'll be like, man, what in the heck did I just say? Yeah. Did anybody catch that? Did anybody hear what I just said? That was the lamest sermon ever. And, I, you know, like, and I've, I've been in ministry for a really long time. And there's just times where you go, you walk out and you're just kind of like, how did that help anybody? You know, and if you've been in ministry, you, you understand that feeling. I, I may not know in that moment how it helped anyone, but no matter how you serve, no matter how you work for the Lord, it doesn't really 
matter, but God is honoring it. And you don't know the eternal consequences that it's going to have. So it's not just that they would serve and continue to work, but it's also that they would be fruitful in their work. So fruitful in their work, not just focused on lame things that we don't need to be focused on, that we would increase in our fruitfulness and in our work for the kingdom of God. Just a couple more things. Uh, And then this other thing that they would, that we would increase in knowledge of God. And we've already kind of touched on this, but that we increase in the knowledge of God. And this is not just so much that we know him because there's, a, there's an interesting thing that we, we know so much about him, but also that, that we, we would experience him. It's not just the head knowledge, but it's a heart knowledge too. That we would grow and increase in our knowledge of Jesus because y'all, we, we live in an area where we've got to get that right. We've got to increase in our knowledge of who the true Jesus Christ is. Again, the threat of culture and this early church of Colossae is this Gnosticism. And so what that was is give me a greater knowledge of all of these different worldviews so that we can just include everything. Oh, it's not just, you know, when Jesus said that he's the only way, well, he really didn't mean it. Like we can have all of these different ways to eternity. It's the same message that Paul is fighting against in this first century church that we, are, that we have found ourselves in 2022. I was on this panel um, for SUU a few months ago as the, the new semester, the new school year was beginning. And it was myself and some other religious leaders. And thankfully, I had a, a good brother in Christ who was with me, uh, Brother Jerry at Westview. And then we had some other denominations, and we had some other religious world, religious leaders there on this panel, and two of us held to the view that it's Christ alone, but these other people were saying this Gnosticistic type of religion that it's all beliefs, it's, it's just be good, it's, it's just find your own path, find your own way to satisfaction, to purpose. And it's this Gnosticistic, Gnosticism of the early church that is still here to where, where we would think that some of these people, we, we would want to call them brothers and sisters in Christ, but it was more about inclusivity. It was more about you find your own path towards God. Despite the fact Jesus said that he is the only way the fact, despite the fact that Jesus said, you come to me if you want to get to the Father. We have to know this. We have to increase in our knowledge of the word of God. We have to increase in our knowledge in who Jesus is. This is why I think Paul puts in this, what we think is likely a song of who Jesus is that begins in verse 15, when he says that he, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, some religions would say, see, I gotcha. He's the the image of the invisible God. And they would say, well, isn't man the image of God too? 
Yes, but Paul would mean something deeper here. We are image bearers. We, in some ways, resemble God, but we are not direct image of who he is. He is in the image of, we are in the image of God. He is the image of God. There's a big difference. And he is the firstborn of all creation. He is not a created being, but this is the language that Paul would use to identify Jesus as being, he is the one who has all rights and authority of what the father has. So what he is saying, listen, I want you to increase in your knowledge of Jesus. And here's who Jesus is. Jesus is fully God, fully man. If you want to see who God is, all you got to do is look at Jesus. And when you look at Jesus, you see the beauty of who God is. We have to increase in our knowledge of Jesus. Many cults, many, many religions tell you their view of who Jesus is, that he was just a prophet, he was created, he was birthed by somebody, he was this and that. But the Bible teaches clearly that he is God and that when you see Jesus, you see God. The last prayer that Paul prays here, pray that God would increase patient and in joyful endurance in you. Verse 11 says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. There's a, just one idea real quick here when he's talking about endurance and joyful patience. These are two different ideas. Endurance is, again, early church thought here, persecutions looming, um, the way of life has been uh, just kind of shook around them. And so that means that there's going to be some persecution. That means that there's going to be some severe things that they're about to walk through. And he's praying that they would have an increase in endurance. In other words, for us today, God may not give us the healing that we desire now, but here's what he would give you. An increase in endurance so that whether or not you are healed here or there, you were able to endure it. And that gives you a strength that many people don't have. And then he's asking that God would increase their patience and joy. And when he asks for patience and joy, he's really talking about how people interact with each other. God, give us an increase in patience in how I deal with my family in how I deal with my neighbors, in how I deal with this culture around me. That's what he's praying for an increase in. That God, would you increase our view of what your will is, and that is to save the lost. God, would you increase in my life that it would be pleasing to you, Jesus. God, would you increase in my fruitful work towards you that I wouldn't be fruitless, that I wouldn't just be going around doing things that I don't deserve, uh, that I don't have no business doing, but, but that I would be doing things that are kingdom-minded and of a kingdom importance. I pray that for an increase in my knowledge of who you are, 
And I pray for an increase in, in my patience and how I deal with people. And I pray that I increase in this joyful endurance that just when things don't go my way, that you would give me the strength to endure it and not the strength to buckle down and just run away. That I, that I have the strength to endure the hardships and not just sit there in a pity party. Oh, woe is me. God would give us the strength to endure those things. And that strength is not found in you, but the strength of his Holy Spirit. And this is a, a prayer Paul prays for the church of Colossae. And I would venture to say it's a universal prayer that, that is prayed for the church. And a prayer that I pray for us as we grow, us as we continue to reach the lost. God, increase us in a knowledge of your will that you have come to save and seek out the lost and that we would be like the light of Christ and push out the darkness and be carriers of the banner of the truth of God. That God, that you would increase within us a life that is pleasing to Jesus. Increase in us as a church fruitful work. Increase in us a knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and increase within us patience and a joyful endurance. So let's pray this morning.